We're uh, on the fourth chapter of Thessalonians, and as I was uh, praying about this chapter, I got this picture of what the Apostle Paul is doing in the church as he's teaching them how to live for God. So the Apostle Paul is saying, the, the, many of you have come to Christ out of paganism. Things are very different when you follow Jesus. Here's what it looks like to please God. And, and what it reminded me of is I, t- I started uh, a pottery class and started taking some pottery, took a pottery class in college, really enjoyed it. And I told myself, you know, when I retire, I'll do it. And I was meeting with the, my spiritual director and they're like, well, why are you waiting until you retire? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It just seems like something you do when you retire. Like, no, you don't have to wait. So during the pandemic, I started taking some pottery classes. And, and uh, what this passage reminds me of is, is, is this big lump of clay where there's no differentiation between the culture around and the church. And so it's like you throw that sucker on the wheel and it just looks the same as any other lump of clay on the wheel. But as you start to work with it and pull it, it begins to take shape and there's a differentiation. There's a distinction between just a lump of clay and what's being formed. And he's forming a vessel. He's he's literally shaping a vessel. And that's the word used in in Corinthians to speak about our, our bodies. And it says this, if you want to pull it up on your phone, 1 Thessalonians, I said Corinthians, it should not have come out of my mouth, don't know why it came out. 1 Thessalonians 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 12. I'm going to read it, you could uh, pull it up, let me see if I can find, boom, there it is, 1 to 12. So, uh, ready? Here we go. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact you are living, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do so more and more. For you know what instruction we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on. Now about your love for one another. We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you may be dependent, may not be dependent on anybody. 
I want to look at, uh, we aren't going to look at every passage here, but we're going to do our, our best. He starts with this, with this passage. He says this. He says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you how to live in order to please God. In fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this. And you'll see this uh, expression early on in chapter 4 and then later again, more and more. And, and what he's doing here is, is everybody who in the normal culture around, you could say that they had a, a general religion. They were... They, they were um, they didn't have the same mores, didn't have the same practices as the Apostle Paul was teaching the Christians. And what he was instructing them and what he's instructing us is every time you think, oh, this is what Christians do, and you use that as your motivation, you and I have shifted in our thinking from a religion to a relationship. You see, our motivation needs to be motivated out of a relationship and not out of a religion. Those of you that are married understand this, don't you? Like, if there are dishes in the sink and the dishwasher hasn't been emptied and loaded before my wife comes home, do you know what I'm motivated to do? Come on, what? I'm motivated to empty the dishwasher, load it, make the counters look nice so that after she's done her 12, 13 hour or more day, she doesn't come home because she will come home and do that. But you know what that says about me? And I'm motivated to, to, for her to come home and not feel the need to do something except water her plants, which is a little bit of her little day thing she likes to do and feed the deer and all that, yeah. All of, all of her little things, but, but things that you know, she likes, it's okay. But, but we, we understand how we're motivated. You, sometimes when you're a student, if you have a good teacher, you're motivated to perform for that teacher. It's a performance out of a relationship. When you have a friendship... When, and your friend's having a birthday, you find yourself motivated to do something kind, a gesture, a gift for that person. It happens out of relationship. Years ago, there was a guy who was a, a writer. He's written a bunch of books, and he, he said to me, he said, he goes, should never changes anybody. Shoulds never change anybody. You should do that. You should do this. How many times in our lives when we find ourselves shifting away from a, a, a motivated, genuine, loving response to a living God to a should? When our motivation shifts to a should, we are actually coming under the law, if you read Galatians, and we are stepping away from grace. And if you're going to get anything out of this passage, you have to get to the heart of the matter where he says, I, we instructed you in order to live, in, 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 how to live in order to what? To please God. To please God. It's a relationship with the living God. And it's a relationship we nurture and we cultivate 
and we deepen. That's why I'm really excited about our small groups. We want to see everybody involved in a small group. And my dream is that everybody would read the book by Peter Gregg, How to Hear the Voice of God. Because I believe God wants to deepen our relationship with him by speaking to us, tuning in our ear, understanding how he speaks to us today. And I'm so excited. And so what I'm dreaming is that we could start some new groups. Maybe you want to host a group. Maybe you want to lead a group. I mean, you gotta, we have a sign-up down there. We're starting already to sign up. And, and my dream is we would, we would grow together. We would read this book together. I'll preach on the subject, but I'm not going to totally repeat what, uh, what is said in the book. Uh, we're going we're gonna to compliment what's said in the book on Sunday mornings. And, and I want us all to deepen our relationship with the living God. And I, I've been reading Peter's book, and I heard him speak at a conference in the fall, and I was just like, man, this is good. This is life-giving. I was reading one of the stories to my wife, and I said, yeah, you should read this book. And she's like, you know, I don't read books. I'm like, well, this is a good one to, to read. And, and, uh, and, and I said, well, let me read you this story. And I read this story, and I don't want to spoil it because I want you to read the book, so you got to get it. And so the day later, she goes to me, she goes, that was a good story. I go, yeah, it's a good book. I mean, God wants us to orient our lives not around a religion, but a relationship which we naturally respond to as a way to learn to please him. Can I get a small amen? amen. Thank you. Well, that was a medium amen. That was pretty good. Let's, let's move on to the comfortable subject of sexual immorality, okay? Uh, you need to know, in my history in this church, I preached on uh, the passage in Acts one time, and I dealt with, it talked about uh, abstaining from sexual immorality, and I had a, a family leave the church. And so every, every pastor has like their, their hurtful moments, and they met with me and said, you should never, ever talk about sex from the pulpit. I said, it's in the Bible. We know, but it shouldn't be talked about. Like, have you turned your TV on recently? Like, have you gone on the internet? I mean, how, it's like, oh, but we're, we're not, and, and, and I was sad. We, I, we, I lost this family. They were really hurt that I talked about it, and, and uh, I just said, you know what? If it's in the Bible, then we should be able to talk about it. Do you agree? Is it? Okay, so if you leave over this, I'm sorry. Uh, I thought most of those people left already, um, but we have to, but we have to talk about what what uh, the Apostle Paul talks about. And he says this. He says, he said, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. So I, the word sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea. Pornea has a, 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 a semantic range. It, it, and so that means that this word um, can be used in many, in, in, in different ways. So it can mean, okay, sexual morality, the Greek word pornea. Oh, by the way, does it sound like porn? Pornea? Does it? Where do you think we get the word? Porn. Pornea. It's Greek for sexual immorality. It's what's translated in the NIV. Okay? Is that, is that news to anybody? No? 
that's new, not news? You guys are like, did not know that. Okay, one person, learn new word fact today. So, sexual morality, pornea in the Greek. Pornea in the Greek can be translated and can have the meaning of illicit sexual intercourse, okay? I, I drew this from a, a Bible called the Net Bible, and so if you, you know, this is, uh, they'll give you sort of a, a, a snapshot of what it can mean in the Greek. Um, it can mean adultery, fornication, which has the idea of sex before marriage or outside of marriage, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse, and with animals. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to any little children. I, I, how do I do this? Okay. Uh, it can mean sexual intercourse with a close relative, Leviticus 18. It can mean sexual intercourse with a divorced man or woman, and then it talks about Mark and gives you some, some examples of that, and the worship of idols. It can mean also the defilement of idolatry as occurred by eating the sacrifice offered to idols. So, um, and that was used at times where they would have um, temple worship and that involved both sacrificing to idols and also uh, sexual relations with temple prostitutes. So um, the reason I say that is some people will say, hey, this is not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say this. It just says sexual immorality. And I just want you to know when you unpack the Greek, it says a lot more than, than what is uh, understood. So if it was, if you were in the original audience and you read the Apostle Paul's letters and you, you understood it and you read Pornia, you would understand a greater depth to the text than we get when we read abstain from sexual immorality. You know, what is that? You know, what is that? Does that make sense? So is it okay that I unpack this for you guys? Now, this is not here to use as a weapon against people who want to have alternate lifestyles. This is here, the Apostle Paul, to speak to the church. Remember that. He's saying, hey, church, I want you to be different than the world around you, than the culture around you. Because if you came to Christ and you weren't from a Jewish background, you didn't have some of the same laws and understandings about marriage, how you, know, how you were supposed to handle yourself. If you came from a pagan background, certain um, uh, practices that uh, sex outside of marriage, being married, having sex with other people, those were accepted practices among the people at this time. So if you came to Christ and you were starting to follow Jesus, someone had to tell you, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not from a Jewish background, here's what it looks like to please God. Are you starting to hear it like how it would be for the first time? Like, oh, I mean, I can't, I can't, I'm not supposed to do what people have been doing for a long time? Like, that's, that's, not what, how you please God? And the Apostle Paul says, no, no. It's called pornea. And you need to, what does he say? He says, you should be sanctified. Sanctified is the idea to be set apart for holy use. You are now God's. You're not your own. I am creating a vessel. And that you should avoid sexual immorality. You should avoid it. And then he goes on, he says that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. 
And that, in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or sister. So one of the things that, that uh, you have to get here is he uses a, a couple words. One is to learn. So if in, as being a follower of Jesus, the, the word disciple is the word methetes. It has the understanding, if you, if you want to know the Greek behind methetes, it's to be a learner, okay? A disciple is a learner. Got it? And the Apostle Paul is saying, as a learner, as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, there's things you need to learn. You need to learn about your, whole, your body. So your body needs to be taught. You have to train your body and your mind. He goes, not in passionate lust, okay, because he's saying that's how the culture that you came out of operated. If you feel like having sex with your neighbor, there's nothing wrong with having sex with your neighbor in that culture. Just, that's fine. If everybody's good, we're good. Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. That's lust, and if you know something about lust, lust is, is something that wants to consume. Do you ever think about that? You know, we talk about, we talk about where we, we objectify someone. We make them an object of our desire, and, we, we, and it's like we want to consume that. The sexual relations that God designed between a man and a woman is designed for marriage, and it's not designed to consume. It's designed to give. It's designed to receive. It's designed to, to um, show, show uh, a demonstration. If you, if you want to know what the Apostle Paul, he says, it's supposed to look like the relationship of Jesus and the church. Like, wow. Deeply intimate sacrificial, laying down your life for each other. And that means in the bedroom and in the kitchen. And I'm not saying anything weird in that. That means how you live with each other. And so the good news here is that the Bible says we get to learn it. You say, wait, I've blown it. I've messed up. I, that's not been my practice. I've been, you know, sexually immoral. I've done all sorts of things in my life. W what about me? And, and, it's, and it's really pretty clear. Because even though you got an F on your test in the past, doesn't mean you're going to get an F on your test now. What do I mean by that? I mean that, how do you learn? You have to learn to control your body. If you haven't learned to control your body, the good news is you can learn. I love this passage in Titus. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodly worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And that's Titus 2, 11 to 12. And, and so it's, it's like when I first started doing pottery, you usually start and you make an ear because you, you pull it up and then you pull it too thin and all of a sudden the wheel goes like this and it goes bloop. And you really liked what you made, but then it just sort of messed up. And then you, 
you'd do a bunch. When the, the first pottery course I took when I was uh, in college years ago, the instructor, he, he was this artist, and, and it was done at the Institute of Art, and they taught very different back then than they do now. And the dude would come in, show us how to throw, and then he left. He, he wasn't around, um, and you just had to keep practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing and making a mess, throwing it, making a mess until you figured out how to throw. It's like I showed you, now you got to practice. You have to learn. That's the same thing it is with our bodies. We have to learn. And let me give you one, one other uh, point of just by way of information. So when you're talking about desires and we talk about sexual desires, all of us are created with them. So you need to demystify it. It's, they're, they're part of being human, okay? Sexual desires are not sinful desires. They're human desires. There's lots of desires, and I'm sorry this is so small. I'll read it to you. Um, it, there are lots of desires that God creates us with. He creates us with desires and longings. We have a desire for attention. It's this idea that I long for people to like me. I long for your embrace. We have a desire for affection. I long to be enjoyed. I long to be delighted in. I long for you to take pleasure in who I am. We have desires for affirmation. I long to know I have what it takes. I long to be your blessing. We have a desire for acceptance. I long to belong. I long to be desired. We have desires for satisfaction. I long for fullness. I long for well-being. We have desires for significance. I long for impact. I long for meaning. I long to be powerful. We have desires for security. I long to know I will be okay. Now, these are all legitimate desires that God has given us. And sometimes, and here's why I shared some of those with you, sometimes when it comes to our sexual desires, we can very easily take a desire for attention or a desire for affection or a desire for acceptance or a desire for satisfaction that God wants to satisfy in a way that is pure and is holy and we can plug it into the wrong source. Does that make sense? And, and one of the ways you know you've plugged it into the wrong source is that it doesn't satisfy in the end. I remember when I was a youth pastor, and I, I, I've, I've thought about um, this to say to, just as a way to say to young people, sometimes when you have uh, premarital sex, I'm hopefully... Okay, I'm sorry. Um, when you have, I said it's like going to McDonald's. It might be really good while you're eating it, but afterwards you have a lot of regret. Um, you don't, none of you have fast food regret? None of you? None of you? Like, I shouldn't have eaten two Whoppers and a French fry? Right? You've, you've never done that? You know, just pulled on into a McDonald's and, and then you go, why did I do that? I just consumed a, my daily amount of calories. All right. You got, I was like, what is this? You're real. You're human. Well, I've done it. I've pulled in. Give me a, you know. And, and then you're like, oh, my gosh. What did I do? 
And I would tell young people, that's, that's your experience. Sometimes, you know, when, when, when you want, you know, to have sex before marriage, they, that, it, you know, it, there is a, a natural pleasure that God's designed in our bodies for a sexual experience. But the reality is, is when we keep it between the rails, when you wait till you get married, and, and, and right now in the church, there's very little difference between the church and the world with people saying, I'm going to wait to have sex until I get married. Let's just be honest. Most of the weddings that I do are people that live together. And that doesn't matter. They can be non-Christian or Christian. It's, the, it's, it's now the reality. And and, and I'm praying that there would be a movement that doesn't come from the top down, that comes from the ground up. Almost like that clay that's in the ground where, where you're forming it and you're making a, a vessel. Where people would say, hey, I just want to follow Jesus. I, I can wait. I can wait. Let, let's do this Let's do this together. Let's wait. Let's not live together before marriage. Let's, let's, let's wait to consummate our relationship until after we're married. I remember there was this couple. They were brand-new believers in the Netherlands. And, I, and so they were um, they're just lovely. They're both uh, Dutch nationals, and they're part of the church we were pastoring. And I was do, supposed to do their wedding, and... And, um, and so I was doing a little premarital counseling with them. And premarital counseling is really not counseling. It's just talking to people about subjects and topics and, and helping them to make sure they get some good order and good plans in place. And so it's not like counseling. But they were like really tired. And they said, yeah, I'm really tired. We didn't sleep well last night. And, and, um, and I was like, oh, okay. And I said, well, you, so you guys live together? You sleep together? And they go, yeah, we are asking some of our new Christian friends. We're new Christians. They said everything is good. You can live together before marriage, this and that. And I was like, well, okay, you know, technically the Bible is, you know, if you're living together, doesn't mean you're necessarily having sex. You know, that's the one that the Bible forbids. Like, oh, no, we, we, we're doing it all. And, and I go, well, how long till you get married? And it was like six weeks or something like that, you know, where it was really short. And I looked at him, I said, you know, I think it'd be really good to abstain. I think a dog could abstain for six weeks. And... Um, that was funny. That, you guys don't, there's no humor in this place. You guys, like, come on. Because I'm talking about the forbidden subject because the Bible deals with it. It's uncomfortable enough for me to talk about. Help me here, okay? Have mercy. I'm moving on very soon. Okay. People tell me I don't talk about this enough. And then I do, and I get the awkward silence. Thank you. And they abstained, and they experienced joy. They experienced increased peace. You know, God knew what he was doing when he created us. And he knew what he was doing when he set out ways to live. And, and he has basically said to us, I want a people that are set apart for holy use. That means that, you're, that I can use you. You're my vessel. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but rejects God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And so the, the thing is, when you get into Christian theology, do you, do you know what makes us holy? Do you know what makes us holy? 
You carry something. What do you carry? Thank you. Please say it louder so everyone can hear. The Spirit of God. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And so he's saying, you are carriers of the very Spirit of God. That's what your motivation is to be holy. It's God who gives you the Spirit. The vessel that he's pulling up from the world, pulling up, is designed to carry the Holy Spirit. And that then needs to be set apart for a holy use. So God uses us for his glory out in the world and to our families. So, what if you've lived an imperfect life, an impure life? What if you've lived just for your passionate lust? What have you done? To me, it's like, okay, are you, are you living and breathing today? Is your heart beating? Is your brain working? Well, then you know what? There's grace to start anew. One of the things I love about the, the Alcoholics Anonymous movement is you could be sober for 40 years, go out and screw up. You show up at a meeting, and they're not going to whip you and tell you you're, you're terrible. I can't believe you did that. They're going to look at you and go, come on, day one. Come on, day one. And the church needs to be like that. Come on, day one. Let's start again. Because we're all learning. We're all learning to be holy. And let me, before I move on to the, to the, to the last point, it, it's so funny how God arranges things. I, I had a meeting with a guy that lives in a senior community, okay? So it's all, it's all senior people. They're older. He's in his 80s. And he says to me, he goes, these women, they just, they want me. I'm one of the few attractive males in this place that's moving and 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 and, and they're they're coming on to him these are women in their 70s and 80s and maybe older and he's he says yeah and there's one woman she's she i told her look i we, we can't keep dating i don't feel right about you know this I, and I don't even think he dated her maybe they had lunch together or something and he, and he goes he goes yeah and, and she's uh She's saying, but I just have these hormonal urges. <laughs> and God does this to school me. Did you know that? You know why I say that? Because, oh, so you think you just struggle with it when you're 20 years old or when you're 14 years old? So you think this just goes away when you get older? Well, according to my friend, it doesn't. And you might laugh. But you know what? I think each life stage has its challenges. And maybe, you know, you're older and the Lord's saying, hey, you need to learn how to control those desires. You, you need to relearn how to live as a Christ follower, whether you're in your 50s, your 40s, your 20s, your 70s, or your 80s. It doesn't matter. We're still mathetes. We're still disciples. We're still followers. And it doesn't matter if you've screwed up in the past because you're living and breathing today and the gospel says you can be forgiven and you can start new. And it's not about your past. It's about your present and your future. It's not about where you've been. It's where you're going. And God's not going to keep you down and shame you because of your past. He's going to offer you new life and hope now. 
Let's go to the happy place. So um, now about your love for one another. We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God. Hey, I want you to know that that is, they call it in, in Greek, haplokomenai, terrible pronunciation. But this is like a one-time word taught by God. This, this is, they, some people think the Apostle Paul might even made it up. You know how we make up funny words and put them together. It's, it's this idea that God taught them how to love one another. And think about this. If you're a vessel and you're learning to please God, he, he's going to say, hey, because of the culture around you, the way you've been raised, grandma and grandpa, great-grandma and grandpa, all these other people have been living a certain way. I'm calling you out of the muck and the mire. I'm drawing you up. I'm pulling a vessel. I'm making something fresh. You are going to carry the Holy Spirit. And what do you think the Holy Spirit would speak to its people? Beloved, love one another. And this is not a mushy, romantic kind of love. This is a sacrificial, laying down your life kind of serving love. You know what I loved about yesterday in the demo day? We had some seniors demoing the youth center for the youth. One is I'm like right on. Power to the people. If you can, if you can use it, use it. You know, it hasn't broken or worn out. There, we, anybody can work. But it was a way that the, the generation that's gone before wants to help pave the way for the one that's coming up. Friends, I think that's love. Does that sound like love to you? What are they going to get out of it? Maybe some sore muscles? Maybe a little carpet dust in their sinuses? But maybe the satisfaction that part of our life is loving the next generation. Because they are the church, just like we're the church. And we, and that's one of the things that excites me about reading this book, because I believe everybody can hear the voice of Jesus. Jesus said in John 10, my people, my sheep, hear my voice and they follow. And that I, if you and I dig into it, I pray you buy the book. We're going to offer some for sale. I pray you get into a group and talk about it because the more you talk about something that you're reading, the more it stays in your brain. And I pray you come every Sunday and that we as a community hear Jesus together. And I, as your pastor, you can come up to me. Do you know what I heard God say to me? you know what I heard God say? Do you know what the Spirit did? And then you, you'll hear story after story after story because God wants us to hear and to follow. And they heard the Lord speak. They were literally taught by God how to love one another. And he says this, taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Here's one of the lovely things about the Christian faith, and here's one of the terrible things about the Christian faith. You know what it is? You never arrive. Can you imagine being on a car trip? with the kids that are continuously saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Like, you might think you're the most loving person in the world, and the Lord's going to look at you and say, okay, but do so more and more. What? Yeah. Don't stop. 
Do it more and more. And we as a community, God's calling us and he's speaking to us through Thessalonians. If there's a party in your life, there's a place in your life where you feel like I have given all I can give, I have loved all I can love, I can't do this. Maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's with your children, maybe it's with a colleague, maybe it's with something totally different, maybe it's with your giving, you know, maybe your generosity, maybe it's in a way you have your spiritual gift. And the Lord is just going to speak to you very clearly, don't stop. Don't stop. Keep on loving, keep on giving, keep on sharing. Maybe you've, maybe you've blown it. You know, when I preach about sexual morality, you feel like, oh, gosh, I've blown it, I've blown it. Hey, he's saying, hey, it's not the end of the road. Today is a new day. There's new grace to follow. Just get up and start following today. I want to stand up and let's pray together. And we're going to sing the song in response, more love, more power. And, uh, and then we're going to have a, some prayer ministry time. And if, while we're singing, if the prayer ministry people want to walk up here and get all ready, that'd be great. And um, so let's just start praying together. Father, you give us your word to instruct your church. It was the church in Thessalonica that the Apostle Paul instructed. And what you've been telling us is how to please God. And each one of us is one of these clay vessels that you are literally pulling out of the clay. And you're beginning to shape and define us. And Lord, we, we pray against that tension in our life that we want to revert to simple law-keeping as opposed to staying in a living relationship with you. We want to revert to just sort of ticking the boxes or checking the boxes and, and, and uh, just saying, okay, that, that I, if I do this, I feel good about me. I feel good about my relationship with you. But that completely distinguishes us from a living, loving relationship. It, it distances us from that relationship. And so, God, we, we just ask your forgiveness for how we've turned our relationship many times into a religion. It becomes about performance. It comes about comparing ourselves to one another. And, Lord, we live in a culture and a society that it... It just about says these days anything goes as it relates to sexuality and sex. And, and Jesus, you back then called your church to be different than those around them. And that call still stands today. And Lord, we confess we're just imperfect, fallen, broken people. But we ask that you would be shaping us from the very dust of the earth and that you would be placing afresh every day your Holy Spirit in and on us and within us that we could be set apart and holy for your use give us the grace to avoid pornea sexual immorality give us the grace to want to live for you 
not of some prideful differentiation like I'm different than the world, but out of a loving response and a living relationship with you, sort of wanting to get the dishes done and wanting to put a smile on your face and wanting to bring joy. And that joy that you get also brings us joy. And it's a beautiful, beautiful relationship. And I pray for those who have feel so sad or shameful or guilty that have just feel like they've, they've fallen or given in to their lusts, as you say. And I pray that you would give them the grace to get up, to come to the cross and to ask you for forgiveness. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and there's not one of us. And Jesus, you defined Adultery is just adultery even in the mind. And so none of us here stands as some self-righteous person, but we stand humbled before a holy God. And we pray, God, we could love you more and more, whether that's with our how we live sexually, whether with it's abstaining because Jesus you were fully actualized as a human being and you never had sexual relations or whether it's whether it's doing the best as a husband and wife or as a spouse or as a widow or as a divorced person or as a single person or as a student however however it is whatever life circumstance you have in it may we be learners may we learn to please you. And in order to do that, we need more love and more power. We need more of you in our lives.